You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. So we are in the second part of our Second Samuel series, The Shadow King. The first part was Your Kingdom Come, and that was kind of the first 10, 11, first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is kind of three sections, really. The, the first section is all of David's triumphs. Uh, t- uh, chapter 11 and 12 is uh, they are his transgressions, and then the rest are his trials. And that's where we are. That's why we've kind of moved from calling it your kingdom come to the shadow king. Um, in one respect, because he is a shadow of things to come in Christ, and yes, but also he has now cast a very big shadow in Israel. So um, we are in the second part. I, I just wanted to explain that. Like we have this, you know, we always play a video before, you know, whoever gets up to speak. And that one just, man, it's so somber, right? It's like, if you weren't depressed, now you're depressed. I hope you're not depressed. So um, because we've got reason for joy, even when we're reading passages like we're going to read today. But just to kind of get us there, David, the pivot point for David, again, was when he, uh, he slept with Bathsheba, someone else's wife. He was supposed to be somewhere else, but he did this. He had her husband killed. The prophet Nathan comes to him and says, you know, tells this story, right, about uh, a guy who had all these sheep, taking someone else's sheep and killing that person's sheep. And, and David's outraged. He's like, who is this man? He should be killed. And, and Nathan says the very famous words, you are the man, which isn't like, you're the man. Like, it's, you are the man. Like, stick it to the man, you are the man, okay? And he says this to, to David, and David realizes that. And I wanted to really mention that today because we're going to see something a little bit similar in today's passage that when someone needed to communicate with David something like this, um, they did a better thing to illustrate before they even got to the actual point. And that's just something cool about God, by the way, is he will speak truth into our life the way we need to hear it. Uh, and so that doesn't mean we'll always like it. I don't think David liked hearing, you're the man. But it at least got him to the point where he understood that was true. I am that man. And, and, and the Holy Spirit will work that way in you also. But, but so Nathan does this and then tells him all these bad things that are going to happen in his family. And it's like, wow, but he deserved to die. So the fact that these things were happening and he wasn't going to die, th- there was actually the grace of God in his life. And remember that it wasn't really David that understood that. David didn't understand the grace of God much more than you and I understand the grace of God. It wasn't like he had a grip on the grace of God as much as the grace of God had a grip on him, right? And yet, even when there is grace, we still have to deal with some consequences. But we see this, just a little hint of this, a couple years after that, when he goes back to battle with Joab, because Joab's like, hey, I'm about to win this battle. If you don't come here, I'm going to get all credit. You need to get out here so that you get the credit for this. And David goes back to battle and, and they, they defeat their enemy and 
He wears that 75-pound crown, which is crazy. Uh, but the, the thing that I noticed, and we talked about again, this is pertinent to today, is unlike the other battles that David won, uh, he didn't really say or give or overtly give any glory to God for winning the battle. Like every other time, there's some kind of credit given, and he doesn't really do that. And I might be reading into this a little bit, but I think it's interesting that that's absent here. And the, the reason why I think that's interesting is David is now, this is post his, his major moral failure, this after his major moral failure, and I think, and, and maybe you can understand this if you've been there, when we sin, our sin takes the breath and the authority out of our worship. It just does. And he might have felt muted even because he knew he has really screwed up and, and he didn't even really know who else knew. But there were people that knew. It might have looked funny to them. They might have thought he was a hypocrite to give any glory to God after what he's done. I don't know. This is some, some of this is speculation, but I think there's some truth to the fact that sin will completely rip the authority out of our worship and take our breath away, right? It doesn't have to be that way for us. Our shortcomings can really be more reason to brag about Jesus when we bring them out into the open, right? Paul says, I boast in my weakness. Why? So Jesus can get the credit. Uh, but that, that's up to us to pull things out. But that little, that little thing, I think, is a hint into what we see the rest of this book, especially what we see going on uh, last week with Absalom, two weeks ago with Tamar and Abnon, and last week, Absalom killing Amnon and we're, we're going to read about today and if you're like I haven't been here the last two weeks Pastor Mike I don't know what you're talking about it's 2nd Samuel chapter 12 and 13 you could go back and look at the messages but David's family David's house is a hot mess it's not good right and the last time I preached which was two weeks ago Pastor Nathan uh, shared with us about when Absalom actually did murder Amnon and we're going to get back to what the, out, the fallout of that was. But two weeks ago when I preached this story, it was the story of when Amnon, this is David's firstborn son, would be heir to the throne, raped his half-sister Tamar. And that was a, that, that, I've got to tell you, one of the things about expository preaching going verse by verse, there's things like this I'm not sure we would necessarily ever go to if we didn't do this. But we have to. It's God's word. And what's great about God's word is you go, why is something like that in the Bible? Because the Bible, God's word, the truth doesn't hold anything back. Would you rather that God just give us some flowery speech and, and cut out all the bad parts? And then we're left to think we're always messed up. And when we go to God's word, James says it's like a mirror. We could see ourselves in it. Why? Because it holds nothing back. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we had to deal with some ugly that week. And if that's something you've ever had to deal with, if that's something that's happened to you, it doesn't have to define you. But that event, I called this, this message and I called that passage the origin story of a villain. Amnon was already a villain. But the origin story of the villain I was talking about was Absalom because Absalom found out this happened. And if you watch in any movies, you know, when, when there's a villain, there's always some event or some series of events that make us sympathize a little bit with the villain. Am I right? Like there's always just something bad that happens to him. You're like, man, 
you know, and my, the one that I, I mentioned a few weeks ago was Harvey Dent from, from Batman. And, and he says this famous quote, he says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And then he becomes a villain because some big tragedy happens in his life. And so there's this origin story of this villain. And I, I kind of look at that chapter as Absalom's origin story. I don't think he was necessarily always what we're going to see him turn into. But he saw this grave injustice. And then, and then worse, he saw nothing being done about it. Nothing got done about it. It, all we have is David was angry. Like, okay, so what? Right? So what? He's angry. He, that, that's all we have is that he was angry. I used to have this friend who, uh, he had a problem with saying like bad words. And so instead of saying bad words, he would just say, he would try to say the feeling he was feeling at the time. <laughs> one time I was with him and he was dead serious. He wasn't trying to make a joke, but I just died laughing. He was like, anger. <laughs> I just looked at him. I was like, Nathan, are you okay? And he's like, why are you laughing? I'm angry. I was like, it was just the way you just said anger. <laughs> like, ooh, you know, okay. But you had to be there, I guess. So, but, uh, but David, all, all we have is that he was angry. And then it says after that, that Absalom hated Amnon in his heart. And I will tell you that point, even though he hasn't physically, we didn't read about him actually murdering Amnon, according to Jesus in the New Testament, when we hate someone in our heart, we've murdered them. So he's already done this. He has, he hates Amnon. And really, we can understand why, can't we? Let's be real about this. Like we, we, we know the right answer. You know, God, God wants to forgive and redeem everybody. And that's right. And that's good. But if that happened to your sister, be real with the Lord. He was angry and we can understand that. And what we see in Absalom is an example of how not to handle it, okay? We actually see the reason why we shouldn't handle things the way he did. Because he says to Tamar, which, you know, what do you say to somebody after that happened? But he says, don't take this to heart. You kind of have to smirk at that. I mean, like, okay, how do I not take this to heart? But the, the notion was more, don't take this to heart. I will take it to mine. And he took the offense for himself. And not only then would it hurt Tamar, but it destroyed him from the inside out. Where should that have gone? To the Lord. To the Lord, right? And so today's passage isn't really all that much more joyful. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? There's not a lot of joy. We're going to see Absalom come back. You know, he's been gone. He was kind of in, in exile. Uh, but it's not going to be like the return of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Um, you know, when the prodigal son came back in the New Testament, he was a different man than he was when he left the house. Right, he left the house and and he was just selfish and he was just spending all of his dad's money and he, you know basically saying you might as well be dead to me, dad. I'm going to go do this. But life happened to him and he was a different man. He was humbled and he came back to his father. That's not what we're going to read about here. Absalom was a he left a murderer and he comes back a murderer. 
he's not changed. In fact, he's probably gotten worse, right? And the father's kiss in the New Testament, you know, when the prodigal son came home, it was a prelude to, to, to like celebration, you know, they had the big celebration and then we read about the other brother. I don't want to get into another message, but it's, it's a great passage. It was a cue for celebration. This is not a cue for celebration. This was a cue for foreboding. You know, pastor, it's, man, it's been such a great time in the presence of the Lord. You're just bringing me down. Hey, it's, it's God's word. It's okay. Trust me. We're going to see some awesome things here. We're going to see the gospel in this. We're going to see the gospel in this. But we're going to just start in 2 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 24. And I'm just going to start verse 1. Joab, son of Zeruiah, realized that the king's mind was on Absalom. Or in some translations, he was longing for Absalom. So Joab sent someone to Tekoa to bring a wise woman from there. He told her, pretend to be in mourning. Dress in mourning clothes and don't put on any oil. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Go to the king and speak these words to him. Then Joab told her exactly what to say. I just want to say something here in verse 1, that the king's mind was on Absalom, or the word longing here. Um, the word longing actually, the, the, in the original language, is kala. And that word actually means here to be spent or to be all used up. And so when you, when you break down the meaning of this, you know, you could just look like, oh, he misses his son. Oh, he, he longs for his son. And it's not, that's really not capturing the right feeling here. It, I, I think it means he's tired of thinking about it. And that's why, and, and, you know, there's differing opinions on this, but that's why Joab is kind of like, I don't want him to let go of his own son. And Joab sets up this whole scene, right? It's not like necessarily there's this real longing to see him. His, Absalom killed his other son after all. Now, he doesn't seem to care what his other son did to his daughter, but that's a whole other story. But if you want to say he did long for his son, you'd have to borrow that from a few verses before this in chapter 13 because that's where it says he was longing for them. But I, I, I think you're borrowing that from another verse. I think this is actually the context. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever been this way in, with a relationship in your life? Like, I'm just done. I'm done. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't care anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I just, I'm not even going to try. Like, what, what do you, have you ever been that way with anyone? Like, pretty much you're just, at that point, you're giving up on them, right? That's kind of what I think is going on here. And I think Joab is actually nudging David. Like, hey, come on, it's your son, right? David should have taken ownership of these issues in his family and took an ownership of the responsibility to fix those things, but he doesn't. He just seems to avoid this. And it's tragic and it's difficult to see David, who uh, Donya just a few minutes ago said he was, he's one of the best praisers in the world. And you're like, but look at this. This is, this is nuts. How, how is he a man after God's heart? Well, for one, the Bible is re reminding us of something. And you need to commit this to memory so that you don't crush any human being under the weight of being perfect like Jesus. Even the best of men 
are only men at best. And what we should take, if there's any encouragement we should take away from David is so messed up, but he's a man after God's heart. I'm messed up too, by the way. And I want to go after God's heart. And I see that that's possible here. But anyways, he doesn't take ownership of his family. Here's, here's an example of, of the shadow of things to come. Jesus does take ownership. He takes ownership of the problems in his family. He takes ownership of the problems in your life. He didn't have to. There was no reason for him to, but he takes ownership of that on the cross in his presence. He owns those things when you give them to him. So in some ways, you're looking at David, in this point, the opposite of Jesus, King Jesus, better than David, the better king, the best king, right? And so before we get real discouraged about what we see here in David, remember this is the shadow king. There's something about Jesus here, and in this case, it's the contrast. He does. He takes ownership. He takes initiative. He didn't need nudging. He came after us. He comes after you, right? So Joab sees this longing, but there's no follow through. And, and we, you know, we talked about that. But why the act? Why this, you know, oh, let's have this woman come. It says wise woman. One of the uh, places I read said, maybe that means she's a good actress, you know, and that good actor or something. Um, but why the act? Now, remember this. Joab was around when the prophet Nathan came. And the prophet Nathan, when he had to confront David with his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he, he did what? He used a story, right? He uses prose. He uses a story to illustrate his point. And the story includes things that he knows David cares about. In that story, it was sheep. David was a shepherd, right? And ironically, in this story, David cares enough about what we're going to see that he wants to protect this person these, um, that we're going to see. And you're like, okay, but what about protecting your own family? A whole other subject. But he knows there's, there's a place in his heart for that for one reason or another. So God actually knows how David needs to be spoken to. And this is kind of a similar situation. Joab, Joab may have seen how David or Nathan handled this and go might be thinking, I'm going to try this the same way. And remember this, God knows how to speak to you. He knows exactly what you need to hear, exactly how you need to hear it. Do you ever look back on your life and realize that there was some basic truth you were missing, but you could trace back the steps and situations the Lord used to bring you to that truth? Ever, ever like just look back and in retrospection, you go, wow. God is so patient with me, right? And he does this because he knows us, he loves us, and he is patient with us. Just something we can pull from that passage there. Verse four, when the woman from Tekoa came to the king, she fell face down to the ground, paid homage and said, help me, your majesty. What's the matter? The king asked her. Sadly, I'm a widow. My husband died, she said. Your servant had two sons. They were fighting in the field with no one to separate them. One struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has risen up against your servant and said, hand over the one who killed his brother so we may put him to death for the life of the brother he murdered. We will, not eliminate, we will eliminate the heir. 
They would extinguish my one remaining ember. I love this language she uses. They would kill him and distinguish my one remaining ember by not preserving my husband's name or posterity on the earth. Remember, she's kind of acting right now. But it's, it's just that language. They would just, I love that. They would distinguish my one remaining ember. So do you see the similarities here? Using the prose? Verse 8. The king told the woman, Go home, I will issue a command on your behalf. Then the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord the king, may any blame be on me and my father's family, and may the king and his throne be innocent. Whoever speaks to you, the king said, bring him to me. He will not trouble you again. So he's saying, okay, I'm going to deal with it. No worries. She's not happy with this answer. She wants a verdict. She wants something a little bit more solid than what he's saying. She replied, verse 11, please may the king invoke the Lord your God so that the avenger of blood will not increase the loss and they will not eliminate my son. We're meant to, I believe, start picking up on how, how much in common her story has with David's actual story with Absalom. David's not picking up on that yet. But he had a brother that killed a brother and she wants to save the one that killed the brother. Are you getting this? Okay. And we're meant to do that. And so she's really driving the point home. No, no I know you said uh, you, uh, bring him to you, but please invoke the name of the Lord your God. Because I know if you invoke the name of the Lord your God, you're going to take this seriously. I know you're a man after God's heart after all, right? So if you invoke the name of the Lord, then maybe I can trust this word. Just a side note, that was an appeal to the man after God's heart. He may have tarnished that image. He may have done something, but there was still something inside him. There was an appeal to that. And now this is an actress, but, but there's still an appeal to that. Remember the Lord uses our situations. There's an appeal to that. Why do I say that? Because even if you've tarnished the identity that God's given you, he pursues you your entire life appealing to that identity to say, let me bring, let me redeem you. Let me restore you. Let me give you an opportunity to live out who I made you to be. He's doing that for David. He does that for us. You may be sitting here today and say, hey, I have screwed up. I'm just here so I could survive this world and get to heaven when I die. No, you're not. You're still alive because God wants you alive. If he wanted you dead and in heaven, he'd have killed you. Right? So if you're alive, there's a reason you're alive, and he is pursuing you to live in the purposes that he gave you. Not when you get to heaven, when you die, here on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. Right? And so there's an appeal to that man after God's heart. And I don't know, maybe this kindled something in him. I hope it kindles something in you today. Because the enemy of your soul, Satan, would love for you to write off your own self. God didn't write David off. He doesn't write you off. And the proof of that is in the cross. The proof is in the scars. 
No one would have endured such a painful experience as the cross if they didn't have hope for the person they were dying for. You, You realize that Jesus has hope for you? Think about that for a minute. He would not have gone through what he went through if he didn't have a hope that this would somehow reconnect you with him and restore you. You may have no hope for yourself, but Jesus has hope for you. That should do something in you. That should change something in you. So she says, invoke the name of the Lord your God. And so he says, as the Lord lives, he invokes the Lord's name. He vowed, not a hair of your son will fall to the ground. And then the woman said, please may my servant speak a word to my Lord the king. Can I say one more thing, king? (laughs) Okay. The woman asked, why have you devise something similar against the people of God. This is where she just turns it right on him, just like Nathan did. You are the man. Why have you devised something similar against the people of God? When the king spoke as he did about this matter, he has pronounced his own guilt. The king has not brought back his own banished one. We will certainly die and be like water poured out on the ground. Beautiful words here. Which cannot be recovered. But God would not take away a life. He would devise plans so that the one banished from him does not remain banished. That's the gospel. This is a battle with David in in the word for justice and mercy. See, David knew grace. He, He knew, he, or he at least knew that he received grace. What he doesn't really know much about here is, as we see, is mercy. And there's a difference between grace and mercy, Right? We, grace is the unmerited favor of God. We receive grace when God does anything for us, ultimately salvation. But that doesn't always mean that we don't have consequences for our sin. I might be forgiven for gluttony, but I may also still have to wrestle with heart disease. Just saying, right? And, and yet we can pray and we can appeal to God's mercy and we, and we see sometimes where God heals us. That's mercy, okay? David didn't necessarily, I don't think he understood mercy because he wasn't really showing mercy to Absalom anyway. He seems to show mercy to Amnon. And I'll be just straightforward with you. I don't get that. I just don't. But anyways, but this is a battle for justice and mercy. And his distress, David's distress over this, his inaction, his lack of peace, his confusion, his lack of decisive action is causing his family distress and the nation to be in distress. She's saying that we'll certainly die and be like water poured out on the ground, which can't be recovered. Our actions have a ripple effect, right? Men in particular, I just want to say men in particular, we, I will tell you, we are the ambassadors of peace in our home. If we're distressed, if we're worried, if we're uncertain, if we're angry, if we're irritable, if we're unreasonable, if we don't take action, if we don't carry out justice, it causes the climate of our entire home to be hostile. Remember, the Word of God's a mirror. And when we allow certain things to linger, like David is, he's just allowing issues to, to linger without being addressed. 
there's the stress. I mean, even our moods, men and women alike. Now, I'll just talk to men and women alike. I remember, and I think I shared this before, so I'm sorry, but I remember years ago, we used to live in the Chicago area. My dad and my mom took me to Six Flags Great America. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it's a theme park. And I'm, I don't remember how old I was. I remember that year I was, I was just finally big enough to go on some real rides. Like, I do remember that. And I learned this year, by the way, the first ride I went on that went upside down, they just tore it down this year. I feel so old. But anyways, so we go there. And I don't know what, I, to this day, I don't know what was going on. But my dad was not in a good mood. He was like a wet blanket. Like, it was just like... No, we're at Six Flags Great America and nobody's having fun. Okay? Something at some point, I don't know if at one point he and my mom had a conversation somehow without me knowing and my mom was like, pull it together. I don't know, you know. Something clicked and he decided to start having fun and all of a sudden we're all having fun, right? I remembered when he was not having fun, I was like, why are we even here, dude? Like, why? And everything changed. It's kind of like that in a much milder way than what we're seeing here. But his, going back to David, his inaction, his distress, his confusion, his lack of action is affecting the whole nation. And it's funny even and unsettling to see that he could see the tragedy in this woman's fictitious tale but he's still failing to make the connection in his own life and those closest to him. Another thing that we could wind up doing, not seeing, we see everybody else's problems, but not our own, right? Why was there so much grace given to Amnon and no mercy for Absalom? I think that's, I, that, that would be my question for him, right? Verse 15, now therefore, I've come to present this matter to you, my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. Your servant thought, I must speak to the king. Perhaps the king will grant his servant's request. The king will surely listen in order to keep his servant from the grasp of this man who would eliminate both me and my son from God's inheritance. Your servant thought, may the word of my lord, the king, bring relief for my Lord, the king is able to discern the good and the bad like the angel of God. May the Lord, your God, be with you. Okay, David, if you haven't already done the math, let me spell it out for you. I'm talking about you. She may have began with her need to get the point of cross, but she is talking to him. It cannot be lost on us the courage it would take to go to a king who we've seen could take matters into his hands in a very violent and scary way and confront him. Like some of us are really good at the first half. Like we can try to speak the truth in people's lives with ambiguity and nuance, you know, and hope they kind of catch on to it. But we aren't always good at the last part to finally say, look, I'm talking to you, right? And the world needs more of that. Look, I'm, I'm talking, we, we need more blunt conversations. We don't need any more ambiguity and nuance, right? She confronts him. It was a risk for her. It was a risk for the prophet Nathan. Think about that for a minute, right? He just had someone killed to cover something up and the prophet Nathan is gonna go confront him on it. What would David justify doing now? 
That was a risk. It's a risk to speak truth. But we need to do it. Verse 18, then the king answered the woman, I'm going to ask you something and don't conceal it from me. Let the Lord my king speak, the woman replied. The king asked, did Joab put you up to this? He finally gets it, right? Did Joab put you up to this? The woman answered, as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or the left from all my lord the king says, yes, your servant Joab is the one who gave, me or gave orders to me. He told your servant exactly what to say. Joab, your servant has done this to address the issue indirectly, but my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God, knowing everything on earth. Yes, Joab did this, but I'm trying to tell you, God is trying to tell you this, right? God is trying to tell you this. So the king said to Joab, I hereby grant this request. Go bring back the young man, Absalom. This starts to look really hopeful. There's going to be reconciliation. He's bringing his son back. Verse 22, Joab fell with his face to the ground in homage and blessed the king. Today, Joab said, your servant knows I have found favor with you, my lord, the king, because the king has granted the request of your servant. So Joab got up, went to Geshur, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king added, he may return to his house but he may not see my face. That's not reconciliation. So Absalom returned to his house, but he did not see my king. It really pains me to see David acting like this. Like David, you could be on one of these modern day talk shows, right? Like. I don't even remember. Did they do these? Maury Povich or whatever. You know, all these dysfunctional families that everyone likes to watch so they could compare their lives and feel better about themselves. I mean, he's doing stuff that you would see on, like, fine, he could be here, but he can't talk to me. I, I, he can't see me. There will be no connection. Fine, he can come home, but that's it. David hides his face. He still, he's letting him come home, but he's still not taking ownership and dealing with the problems in his family right? How is this a man after God's heart? It is a reminder again that even the best of men are only men at best and he might be a Christ type in the Old Testament but he's not Christ himself and we know that because Jesus does not hide his face from us, right? The first part of 2 Samuel and really in 1 Samuel David's this great example of how to be a man after God's heart. Now we're kind of looking at the contrast, right, of, of a human king to another human king, the perfect son of God, though. And he will not hide his face from us. It even says in the Old Testament, Joel, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He does not hide his face from you. If you say, Pastor Mike, I don't see God in my life. I don't ever understand. I, he, he doesn't speak to me. I love you. But, I love you, but I'm going to tell you, or I'm going to ask you, are you seeking him with all your heart? And seeking with all your heart is not like a posture. It's not like a, mm, I'm seeking you, Lord. <laughs> like, this is all my heart. <laughs> I don't, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, how do I seek him with all my heart? 
You seek him with all your heart when your whole life becomes about seeking him regardless of what feelings you might have at the time. Some people seek the Lord with all their heart for years before they ever have an experience with the Lord. But that's seeking the Lord with all your heart and he does not hide his face. You say, I don't see God. It's not because he's hiding his face from you, right? And because of the cross, this is all because of the cross that, he, that we can even see his face, right? We can get to know his face, his love, his character, his creativity, his brilliance. And that takes, learning all those things takes more than a lifetime. We want it all right now. But God knows if he showed us everything right now, we would drop dead right now, right? God, through Jesus, talks to you in moments like these, yes. But he's talking to you through the situations you face this week. He's talking to you through the people in your life. He's talking to you through his word. And he takes the time and he has the patience to talk to you in the ways that you will understand if you're also patient in your pursuit of him. There was no joy here. He was brought home with no reconciliation. But did you know that the Bible teaches us in heaven when we return to Jesus, there's great joy. God's plan for your life is not to bring you to heaven someday when you die and then ignore you. He doesn't even want to ignore you right now. He's not ignoring you right now. In fact, all the ignoring is done on our part. Let's be real about this, right? His plan is not for you to learn something about him so that he can also ignore, uh, ignore you. He's showing us here what it would look like if that was the case. That is joyless. David wouldn't take it upon himself to bring the exile back to him directly and reconcile. But Jesus took it upon himself to bring us back to him, not hide his face and reconcile us to God. That's why David's the shadow king. He's the shadow of things to come. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. And he doesn't want to hide his face from you. He doesn't just want to save you from this world to live a pointless life and die and go to heaven. He's made you for this time. And you might be like David. You may have tarnished that identity. But because of the cross, Jesus will take ownership of your sin. He took it to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just speaking to us through your word. We thank you that you, Lord, you sent your son. And even in passages like these, we can find the gospel, we can find the good news that you came, you laid your life down for us, that you shed your blood for our sin, that your body was broken for our healing, that you went to the cross and you took our sin 
And that when that happened, Lord, your word says the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies was torn, opening your presence to all of us at all times because of the cross. We actually have an opportunity to connect with you in ways David didn't have at the time. So I pray this morning as, as we let your word go deep in our hearts, that it will bring something to life. Thank you, Jesus. If you just would keep your eyes closed for a moment. I know we're running late today, but I think it's just, man, God, God is really moving today. So let's, let's give him that time. But you hear it this morning, you say, Pastor, I've tarnished that identity. Like David, you know, he's a man after God's heart, but we're having a hard time seeing that right now. I'm having a hard time seeing the person in my life that loves Jesus. And I wanna run to him today and I want him to take, take that stain. Kind of like they were making an appeal. The woman was making an appeal to that man after God's heart through the rough exterior. Holy Spirit might be making an appeal to you this morning in your heart to who you know or who you think you're pretty sure he's calling you to be. And you say, Pastor, that's me. I don't even know if he can restore me. He can, and you don't have to wait another minute. You say, that's me. Would you raise your hand? You were encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.